This morning as we get started, I want to put four texts together and weave the, the sermon around these four texts. The first one is found in John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Psalm 16, verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. You will find me with joy in your presence. I love that imagery. Path of life. You know, when it says the tree of life or the um, eternal life, it's, it's the life that is eternal, the tree which is life, the path which is life. You will find me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Then Acts 1 verse 9, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And then the last one in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that you have two addresses? Whichever one you have in Rolla and then where you are now seated at the right hand of the Father. That you were already there. This isn't something that's going to wait for the second coming. You are already seated in the heavenly realms above. That you have your Rolla address, but you also have this other one up there with all the, the glory of God's imagination and your name on it and it's you know, Bob the Magnificent Avenue, one, two, one, one. And it's based upon your character, so it wouldn't be magnificent for me. It would be Bob the Broken that's got healed, okay, whatever. But can you imagine what the address of your house is like? Because you are presently, right now, this very moment, seated at the right hand of the Father. And I hope we can explain what that looks like this morning as we begin to unravel this. Let's just pray together as we begin this morning. Father, we just thank you that you love us with, uh, with an amazing love. And that you love us in spite of our ignorance. That you love us in spite of the fact that many times we waver and doubt and forget and chase after things other than the path of life that brings us eternal pleasures. But right now, Father, will you just scope into us, help us stay spiritually focused to what you have us learn this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus came to this earth and John the Baptist pointed at him and said, this is the Messiah over here, Triggered in the mind of everyone who heard about that was this 400-year history of the fact that when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to come with a winnowing fork, he was going to come on a horse with a sword, he was going to wipe out the enemies, he was going to overthrow all the oppressors, Israel was going to be reinstated as this great and glorious expression of God's kingdom on earth, and all of those images that had been pounded into them week after week in the synagogues, this is what the Messiah is going to be. 
And if you were here a few weeks ago when I last spoke, we talked about the fact that Jesus was so confusing to the disciples that finally they abandoned him for about a year of ministry while he was going on on his own because he didn't measure up to their picture of what the Messiah was supposed to be. Because he picked descriptions of himself that didn't match this warrior king messiah that they were all hoping for. They just wanted to, to ascend politically and militarily to the might of the world. That's what they knew. And so he picked titles for himself like shepherd. Who wants a shepherd to lead you into battle? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's just take the old crook nick and let's go. Or Lamb of God. Oh yeah, that's a real warrior picture. The Lamb of God. New wine. Oh yeah, let's go into battle a little drunk here. I am new wine. I am here and you don't carry me in an old flask because I'm effervescent and I'm going to blow up whatever you're holding me into. I am expanding and I force you to deal with something brand new. And and the list goes on, and you can go throughout the whole gospel story, and every time he comes up with something brand new, but none of it seemed to equate as this grand and glorious warrior king who was going to deliver Israel from its oppression. The title that I want us to look at today is the one that we just read about where he says, I am the gate. I am the gate. John chapter 10, 1 through 4. I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, we're in the summer series going wherever Jesus leads us, right? Wherever Jesus takes us. And today, I want to introduce to us, the remind, to remind us that Jesus is our good shepherd who is the gate who takes us into the pasture. Are you willing to go? In these verses, Jesus tells us a story. It's really a story about the fold. Not even so much about the sheep, but the sheep in the fold together. The sheep in the fold are safe sheep. They have been brought in by the shepherd. They have been put into this pen. The gate has been closed. The gatekeeper has closed it behind them. And they are safe, and they're warm, and they're dry. And if they didn't get enough clover and grass during the day, there's even food over there where they can have some food. They just get to rest, and they are protected. What more idyllic setting can you have than sheep and a pen? It's awesome and amazing. It's where you and I would love to dwell. It's what we have in our mind about vacations. We want to go somewhere where it's safe and we're protected. A dry place to lie down. 
In this fold, newborns are socialized, and they all learn the mores of the flock. And they learn what it means to be little baby sheep in the context of the larger herd. The fold is a wonderful place for a short period of time. But it's a prison if that's all that ever happens to a sheep's life. Now, I'm not going to even talk about church today, per se, but this is how some of us view church, is that we want it to be a pin where we come inside and all the chaos and disaster that's out there, we get to come in here and we get to rest and we get to be protected and church is this awesome, safe, wonderful, incredible place where we, where we get all of our needs supplied, blah, blah, blah. But a church that never opens up the gate to go outside is a very sick church. It's a very dangerous place because that is not what sheep were made to do. You and I were not made to just be pinned up inside of something. A sheep is designed to walk in green pastures. Eat all the grass their stomachs can hold. Drink all the cold water from the, from the river. Enjoy a day in the pasture. In other words, the fold is not the desire of a sheep's heart. It's the holding pen, the safety zone. Before the sheep leave the fold to enter, their heart's desire. They don't desire to go and spend the rest of their life cooped up. Their desire is to go out and explore the pasture, knowing that the shepherd is looking for them, protecting them from the prey. They know his voice, and when he says it's time to go home, they lift their heads and they follow him home. Folds are good, but they are dead ends if you really want a complete full life. This is a story about you and I, because ultimately it is a struggle between whether you and I want to live in the fold or whether we want to live in the pasture. Maslow's uh, hierarchy of need puts all of these things right up there. I mean, there's you got to have air to breathe, you got to have water to drink, you got to have food to have, and you got to have sex. Well, all of us guys would like to reverse all of that and put sex up there, number one, but it's it's number four, okay? But none of on Maslow's list is openness to spirit. Being aware of the divine, seating at the right hand of the Father, living in a whole other realm than this physical thing that we call life down here in the pen. We think if we have enough food on the table, a roof over our head, and our health that we're all set. We're content to do that. We're content to make that happen. That seems to be the priority of our life. Getting up, getting a paycheck and a weekend. That's what we settle for down here. That's the pin. That's what our society says you got to have to survive. But survival is not the quest of our lives. A few years, about 10 years ago or so, I went over to Pakistan in the northwest region up there and they asked me to look over opening up some Western schools, and, and I, I, I just witnessed what the pen looks like. All of these hundreds and thousands of people that are, 
that are subservient to the Khan who owns the land around them. They don't read, they don't write, they never went to school a day in their life. Their job is to get up, go out there, tend the fields, tend the flocks, tend all of this, do it all for the con, and they get some of the crumbs left over. That's their life. They, they're born into that. They die out of that. You and I can be thankful that our pen is bigger and broader and that we have a little bit more uh, options inside of our pens. But it's still a pen. We were not made for the fold. We were made for the pasture. We were made for living out of our heart's desire. Not our heads. I'm sorry, some of us were raised in churches where it says your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So get out of your heart. Well, guess what? Your head is just as screwed up. Your head is just as crazy. But why do we trust our head over our heart? Because it doesn't hurt so bad when we're disappointed. But God made us in the very beginning glorious in his image, breathed into us his presence and his life so that we could live out of our heart's desire to move and operate out of the freedom of our hearts and our heads can come along. But this thing got all screwed up back there somewhere, and now we're all content to live out of our heads, which is the fold. It's not the pasture. It's not the grass. It's not the water. It's not the freedom. It's not the passion. It's not the desire. According to Jesus in this story, numerous voices climb up the walls to try to get us outside of the pen. He calls them thieves and robbers. I call them self-help books. <laughs> if you do it this way, you'll, you'll get this. And if you do this, you do this. And it's a whole list of things. And they're all standing up. And they're all trying to tell you how come the fold either can work better, you stay in here and you lose some weight and you do this and put this makeup on and the, the fold looks really pretty good. Or it tries to convince you of ways to get out of it, but they're always sneaky and they're always on the fence and it's never through the gate. And some of those voices are things like, well, you just need to escape the pen. So that's where drugs and alcohol come in. For those of us who are less um, legally challenged with the laws, vacations and money would be our escape. Just give me a good vacation. Get me out of here. Let me just forget a few things for a few days and we're all good to go. Just if I have enough money, I just, you know, and, and listen, all of us are so blessed in this country. We pretty much all of us know where our next meal's coming from. Not everybody, but some, most of us do. So we are, we are somewhat secure. Then other voices about, talk to us about, oh, you need love. It can be illicit love. It can be an affair. It can be this, that, or the other thing. Or it can be a quid pro quo love. I will give you this if you give me that. I will barter with this if you barter back with this and all of that. Or the stupidest of all when we're about 18, if I just had a child, I would know what love is. And then we have them when there's four, you know, 
two-year-old and four-year-olds don't always answer that need. Security is another one of these false voices that, that call to us over the fence. In the good old days, it used to be loyalty to the firm. You go to work here, and 40 years later, you, they spit you out on the other side, give you a watch and a little retirement fund, and uh, they were loyal to you, and you were loyal to them, and that gave you security for, through your whole working life. Guess what happens today? They look on the calendar and say, man, you're about one year away from all, being vetted for all this retirement. You're out. When I moved to Portland, Oregon back in 1991 or two, I discovered this magic figure called 2.2 million. All the riches in my church were trying to acquire 2.2 million dollars to retire. Because they calculated back in those terms that 2.2 million dollars would allow them to live their lifestyle the way that they're living it at present without any you know, variations with recessions and inflation and all that stuff. They could live the rest of their lives with a cushion if they just had 2.2 million. One of the worst things I ever saw happen was when the bust of 2008 came and these guys that were 59, 60, 65, 70 suddenly saw their portfolios drive, drop in half and their security went out the window. And you remember the story, I don't know how many of you even remember the Falkland Islands. Any of you remember the Falkland War that we had over there in the 80s, I think it was? Well, there's this wonderful story, this couple in England looking at all the nuclear holocaust that was about to rain down on us from Russia and America coming into a nuclear battle. They said, what could be the possibly the most safe place that we could ever move to and live where we know we would never have to ever worry about a war or anything else? We would be physically safe. They looked, they researched, they picked this little island in the middle of the, in South America or off the coast of South America called Falkland Islands. They sell everything in England, move down there. A few weeks later, this war breaks out. In their backyard, these, all these soldiers roaring through, bullets flying everywhere. They had to hide in the cellar to survive. There's no place you can go to be truly safe. There's no physical place you can go to be absolutely safe. Or your health. You know, we got, you know, wonder drugs. I think back, you know, as, as young as I am, I could have died three or four times if we didn't have modern science with different things that have happened to me through the years. In the past, I would have just been in a lot of pain and died somewhere along the way. Now we got this and we got that and we got surgeons and, we, you know, it's amazing what we have. But guess what? Someday you're going to die. No matter how good they are. Your health is good, but your health can also go. But the secretive ways that these people urge you to go out of the flock, out of the fold, over the fence, tells you right then and there that it's probably not the best answer for you. Jesus says there's only one answer, my voice that gets you through the gate. The solution of getting out of the fold is to hear Jesus' voice. The only way you're going to get out of the fold into your heart's desire is to hear his voice and to follow him wherever he takes you. 
Now, don't say for a minute, well, I don't ever hear his voice. Yes, you do. There's all kinds of voices that you hear. Remember that story that Jesus told about the two guys across the Galilee in the, in the region of Gensaret? Well, today we call that the Golan Heights. It's just, just on the border between Israel and, and, and Syria. In the Golan Heights area, these two men were out in a cemetery, lost their minds, naked, shackled, and the shackles had been broken, but they were still got these, these cuffs on their wrists and their a- a- ankles. Jesus and the disciples show up, and what do these two men represent? They represent the voices that they have been listening to, the demonic forces speaking into them their voice. And their voice is always negative, destructive, entrapping, imprisoning. They leave us naked and they leave us insane because we never get out of those voices into our true heart's desire. We're stuck in the fold because we're listening to the demonic demands of the negative, angry, self-critical, self-hating, all of the stuff that goes in to people who get stuck inside the fold. But Jesus says the antidote to that voice and any other voices, because there's a million voices that speak to you, it's a matter of you focusing in on the one you want to hear. Jesus is speaking to you. He speaks to you constantly. Do you hear it is the real question. That's just the question. Do you take time to hear it? Americans, we're we're strangers to silence. We don't know what silence is. How are we going to hear his voice? We wake up, the news comes on, the weather comes on, the radio comes on in the car, the kids are talking, we're racing off to work, jumping in, getting coffee at Starbucks, whatever it is, we are strangers to silence. But Jesus is speaking to us. Jesus says the key to moving out of the fold which is wonderful at first, and it's needed. There are prey out there. Is to know the voice of Jesus Christ. His spirit speaks to our spirit, Romans 8.16 says. You see, the Bible is not God's voice. The Bible tells us what God's voice sounds like. His spirit speaks to my spirit. We have direct access to this redeemed Savior called Jesus Christ. Direct access. He tells us if we listen, and we balance that out by what we know about him from the Gospels and all those kind of things. The Bible is the tool to get us to know his voice, but it is not his voice. We are not worshipers of Scripture. We are worshipers of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has ascended into heaven with us. Boy, that's pretty profound and heavy duty, you know, and we got to chew on that a little bit. His spirit speaks to our spirits. The fold is anything that holds us back from our basic needs. Have you ever figured out yet where you are captive in your fold? Because we all are, it's on some parts of our lives, me included. What holds you captive to the fold? What holds you back from releasing a life filled with your heart's desire to really go where you were made to go? 
Do you need to work? Why? No, oh, I need a roof over my head. I got to have a house. I got to live somewhere. No, you don't. Well, I have to eat. No, you don't. Well, everyone has to live. Well, not even that is true. Jesus says, you know what? Those who believe in me will never see death. What does that mean? Well, I mean, why are we sweating that one? That one's a no-brainer. If we think to save our lives, we will lose it because we will be stuck in the pen. That doesn't mean that God isn't going to give you a home and food and all those things, but that is not the quest of your life. Because the only life that matters belongs to the one who opens the gate. Jesus so identifies with the gate that provides an escape in, from the fold into a life of desire that he says again and again and again to us, I am the gate. Hear my voice and follow me out into something brand new. I am the gate that leads to your life and not only to life but to an abundant life. A packed Filled life, full of life. Do not settle for a paycheck and a weekend. And that's what the ascension of Jesus, that's why I threw that verse in there. That's why the ascension of Jesus is the ultimate gate. Finally, the disciples focused in on what Jesus had been trying to tell them for three and a half years. Finally, the Bible says for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus walked among them, which means simply over an extended period of time, Jesus was there with them, teaching them the things they finally were able to hear for the very first time. Along the way, as they're walking out in the, in the countryside, suddenly Jesus ascends from them goes up into the air, away from them, surrounded by a cloud. They can't see him very high, and he ascends into heaven, they discover later. And then Paul comes along and says, you ascended with him. You went where he went. You ever thought about following Jesus into the heavenlies? That's his invitation to you to get out of the fold and live in this eternal desire of your heart. Dwelling in the heavenlies is living our life of desire centered in Jesus Christ. This is the second key. The first one is hearing his voice. The second one is learning to live our life in the desire of our hearts rooted in Jesus Christ. I've been reading a lot about prayer over the last decade or so because prayer, unfortunately, was so much of a routine. It, it just didn't seem to get me. It just didn't seem to, to connect. Yes, I prayed, but when I got through praying, I'm saying, okay, well, I hope God heard that. And then, you know, you do all these books and they'll tell you the ABCs of prayer. And you, you know, you, you claim the promise and you pray for it and then you receive it. Or, I, I mean, there's, there's a million books on prayer. But none of them seem to connect with where my journey was going until I finally I, I, I put some books together and, and, and I came up with these three. This is just Bob Bretch's 
primer on prayer, which I think prayer is so rich and deep that we'll explore it for eternity. So I, I, only know, I can only talk about the surface here, okay? Jesus would go out and pray all night. He didn't say a word all night long. He just was with his father, listening to what his heartbeat of his father, getting energy from the companionship of the presence of his, of his father. I mean, prayer for me was always, now I lay me down to sleep. I you know, pray the Lord my soul to keep. Or, or it was asking for something or it was forgiving my sins. Jesus, please forgive my sins. These are the three things that I find that are the three elements of prayer. First one is emotion. Emotion is your desire. What do you desire around you? Maybe it's, it's a closer relationship with your husband or your wife. What do you desire? What is it? Maybe it's a, a sick uh, colleague at work and they're just not doing well. Or, you know, what is it that you desire? You sense this need, this, this demand that, that needs to be met. And then you think, the second one is thought, you put those desires into images. What does it look like to have an intimate relationship with my spouse? What does it look like to have this person be healed? What does it look like to have this church flourish? What does it look like to have my business expand and grow and be a healthy place for my employees? And then lastly, you put that feeling, the union of those two together. You unite your desire and your thoughts, your images into a feeling. Have you ever noticed, now maybe this is for some of you the first time, every time just about Jesus did a miracle, it says he was moved with compassion. He was moved. He had a, he had a feeling about this. 5,000 men and their wives and children, they're hungry. I want to meet their needs. So moved with compassion, he fed them. Moved with compassion, he healed the leper. In other words, he was actually working out prayer as he was creating the miracle around him. It's the feeling of our prayers that opens the door and puts the power there. For sheep, the emotion is the desire to get out and live out in the pasture somewhere. The thought is seeing green grass and running streams and protector, and the feeling was what they felt when they got outside the pen and could start eating clover. Okay. For me, I guess one way to describe it is when I started dating Bev. Christmas Day of 1966, back before electricity and cars... Christmas Day in Singapore, which Singapore is only 100 miles north of the equator, so um, it was a warm day, and we went, our tradition on Christmas was always to ski, so we could brag to everybody in America that we skied on Christmas, you know, this kind of deal. So she just had flown in from the Philippines, I lived in Singapore, and uh, there is this cute little girl walking along the beach of this little island off the coast of Singapore, and... Uh, I said to myself many things that I will not repeat here, but one of the things I said was, I want to know who this girl is. There was this initial emotion that she created within me. I want to know her. And then the thought, 
what does that look like? What will that look like? And then over time, of course, and we dated for quite a while, then the thought emerged to wife, mother, friend, all the things that she represented to me out of that getting to know and then to, to image what that knowing was looking like. And then finally, the feeling, the union of us, the two of us who created the force for whatever we created in our four decades or more of marriage that we have. Does that make sense? In the heavenlies, you and I live, if we live in the heavenlies, this is what we do. It's, 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 it's praying without ceasing, but it's the same thing. When we're living in the heavenlies, we've escaped the fold. Now this gets heavy, but listen here. When we are seated at the right hand of God, our emotions are to create a life of desire. What does your unfettered heart desire rooted in Jesus Christ? Imagine yourself living in the heavenlies and all of the power of God is at your disposal and every time you turn around, all you see is this beaming eye of Jesus looking at you and marveling at how awesome you are. Knowing everything about you and not being put off anything at all about anything you've ever done. Nothing in the past is creating any sense of, of, of guilt for you or uh, hesitation in his affection for you. You were just surrounded by this serene love. And imagine what that feels like, the, the freedom that that creates for you. Then the thought, what, is, what images does that create for you? What does that look like for you? I don't know, but for me, I, I never can think of being near Jesus without looking at just seeing those eyes looking at me, those adoring, proud eyes of Jesus saying, Bob, you are my son. You are my dearly beloved son. What does that look like? And then we create the miracle of that. That's what miracles are, by the way. It's just simply you uniting your seating at the right hand of the Father with the, with the dynamic of what's going on in the fold around you, and you're releasing this same power upon all of those things. You're imagining what it would look like to see this person healed or that person blessed or that person loved for the very first time, whatever it is. You realize that the Word of God is true and that it's living and it is dynamic and nothing ever stays the same when, when, when it touches your life. The inner peace and the outer peacefulness that emerges, the image of that, what does that look like for you? And then to put those two forces together, the emotion and the image to the feeling. Living a life knowing all is well and the entire universe is interested in and invested for each one of us. That's what it means to follow Jesus into the heavenlies. That's what it means. The ascension is the gate. The voice of Jesus is inviting you to leave the fold, ascend up into the heavenlies, and to dwell there right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. You know who else is sitting at the right hand of the Father? 
Jesus. So what does that mean? That means you're sitting on the lap of Jesus. Not a bad place to be, by the way. And what we experience on the outside is what we have become on the inside. The ultimate living out of your desire. That's why when Stephen was being stoned, he looked up and he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. I see, I see him lifted up. He could care less about the rocks. He could care less about the fact that he was going to die in a few minutes. He saw what he was beholding because that's where he lived. It's Peter, nonchalant about his own death, that says, oh, hey, listen, I'm not going to be honored by dying the same way Jesus did. You better crucify me upside down because I'm nothing compared to him. Or it's Paul who says, take my head, I don't care. I'd rather depart this whole body and be with the Lord anyway. You and I, who cares what political party wins? Who really cares? Who cares what the stock market does this week? Does any of it matter in the end? We are now living out the eternal realities of heaven above. We are seated up there. We are not stuck down here. We have ascended with Christ into a new place. The new place begins a transformation on our old place and his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. How? Through the gate. Follow Jesus through the gate. Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord. Let's pray.